0: If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and one quick announcement, if you are a young man uh, who dreams of leading your family, your business, and your personal world in a godly direction, we do something called Young Elder Training. It's happening this afternoon, right after this service in the meeting place I love for you to come. This has been an intense but good weekend. So put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Uh, these are the questions that you are asking as a church. Why was my mother murdered in front of me? Why do I have to deal with the pain of fibromyalgia? Why was I raped last night? Those are the questions you're asking. Underneath of those questions is really a deeper question that kind of goes like this. Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God in my suffering? Does does God make people suffer? Why doesn't God just make it stop? And Why doesn't He he just kind of back the whole thing up? The tough thing about dealing with suffering is that people define it in so many ways. I mean it's kind of sad, but some of us are here we're just like, "Yeah, I'm suffering because I have to drive a car that was made in the 90s." You know? Some of us look at, you know, $4 gasoline, boy, we're really going to be suffering this summer. The definition of suffering, it's so relative, and and then we try to lump in other things like illness and family strife and personal consequences, and they all just kind of slide together into this big, unmanageable pile. I mean, 10 days ago, I'm in Calcutta, and the face of, of suffering just is transformed for me. We stop at an intersection, and this kid walks up, and his left arm is completely gone. His right hand is gone. I can count his ribs because he's so emaciated, and the guide in our car says his parents did that to him. His parents will have cut off his arm and his hand because the more pitiful you are, the more you can make when you're begging. they like, what is that? I mean, human suffering, it's hard to talk about because it so depends on your perspective and... Because this topic is so relative, the only thing that I know to do is to go to the truth of the Word of God and say, God, you're going to have to be our anchor as we walk through this. Otherwise, we're just going to end up with a whole lot more questions than answers. So let me give you biblically some truth about suffering. Okay, here's the first little blank in your outline. Suffering was not a part of God's original design. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you discover very quickly... That the world was created to be a place of peace and, and relationship, and it was exactly that until mankind introduced sin into the equation. I mean, suffering results because of the introduction of sin into the world, and in a strange way, I don't know about you, but it comforts my heart to know that God did not build it to be like this. It comforts me to be able to think that that when my heart is broken because of suffering, that that breaks God's heart too. That when I'm crying, He's crying too because that wasn't His design. Second little piece of truth is that suffering's expected. I mean, the book of James says, when you face trials of many kinds, there's no if put into that sentence. I mean, John 16, 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, suffering is a part of the human condition, so you need to expect it. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's just say, yes, suffering. Let's have an altar call. Sign me up, right? Some people think Christianity is supposed to kind of serve like an equation. You know, following Jesus plus doing good things should equal no suffering. I hate to tell you this, it's just not true. You may want to rethink that equation because the truth is this, Christians are not immune from suffering. I mean, the fact that Jesus suffers and dies on a cross, that's the guy we're following, that should be a clue to the followers as to how this is going to go, right? Isaiah 53 describes the suffering Jesus would endure to defeat sin and save us, and it's a tough passage because it uses words like excruciating, sorrow, grief, and pain, 2 Corinthians 12, I mean the Apostle Paul. If anybody deserves to get a get out of pain free card, it would be the Apostle Paul because of everything he did. And yet even this guy, he says that that there was a thorn that I got and 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 it was bad and I didn't like it and I begged God three times to actually take it away. And God said, no. His response is actually, no, my grace is sufficient for you as you handle it. And Paul's response kind of blows me away. I don't get this, but he said, that's why I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, because when I'm weak, I'm actually strong. Where does suffering come from? Does it come from God? God. I mean, if that's the case, how in the world can we say that God is loving? If suffering comes from God, I mean, in my mind, that would make him cruel, not loving. Let's see what the Bible has to say about where suffering actually comes from. So I listed off the origins of suffering. Okay, the first one, we just need to get take, take this taken care of. Some of the suffering I endure is because of my own sinful decisions, okay? This is where it gets tough because we've got to own some of our own suffering. So here's the deal. If you went out last night and and you went out drinking and you got completely wasted and then you got in your car and you drove home and a police officer pulled you over and you blew a one point whatever and they throw you in jail, the only thing you don't get to say while you're in jail is, God, why did you do this to me? God didn't do it to you. You did it to yourself, right? I mean, let's just be fair with it. Don't blame shift your choices. Your consequences belong to you. I mean, I could get up on a soapbox on this one for a long time because we are so good at this kind of thinking. I mean, we show up late for work nine days in a row. Our boss shows up and says, you're fired. And who's the jerk, right? Our boss. How dare he impinging on my freedoms, my rights as a human being to be able to go to work whenever it works for me. Really? Your boss isn't a jerk. You are when you think that way. Galatians 6 says this, don't deceive yourself. You can't mock God. A man reaps what he sows. I mean, you plant sinful decisions into your life, don't be surprised when bad stuff starts sprouting up all over the place. The opposite's also true. When you plant godly decisions in your life, godly stuff grows. So this is what the Bible says, plant the right stuff and you won't end up in a roadside ditch with an eye patch, okay? Some of you got that, the rest of you totally missed it watch television. Okay. So, and let me just throw something else in here because we can't. Okay. We are so inconsistent with the question. Why me, God? Aren't we? And when stuff when bad stuff is going. Why me, God? Why me? When was the last time you got a raise just out of nowhere? And your response was why me, God? Why did you lay this extra money on my table? When was the last time you sat down at the Olive Garden and said, why am I being so blessed with this much garlic? I mean, oh God, why have you asked me to bear the burden of this plate of carbohydrates? Oh, the pain of it, right? Let's get to the next one, I'm getting in trouble, okay? So some of it, we bring it on ourselves. Let's just be honest, okay? Number two, some of the suffering I endure is the result of another person's direct sin against me. I mean, you you don't even get out of the first book of the Bible and this is going on. Genesis 37 is the story of Joseph. His brothers conspire to kill him. And he suffers because of that. When you're a victim of injustice, rape, slander, robbery, discrimination. I mean, the pain and the suffering that comes from the hands of another person, that's, that's tough, and it's real. Thirdly, some of the suffering I endure is the result of other people's indirect sin in the world that we live in. And there's evil systems in the world that create suffering. I got a front row seat when I went to India. The caste system that slides people into categories. I mean, there's only one word for it. It's just, It's evil. But before we go judging that, let's not be so high and mighty that we forget that we've got our own system here when it comes to categorizing people, don't we? Let's just be real. You know, these little orphan kids that I just fell in love with over there, they're considered below the lowest caste, they're considered untouchables. People believe they've been cursed by all of the gods, and that's why they don't have kids. That's why they don't have parents. So nobody's supposed to touch them. They're not worthy to be living anyway. I mean, it's just a brutal, evil thing. And these kids, I mean, Kim was there. He was there. This this young lady, 16 years old, stands up in a worship service and asks us to pray for her because in a couple of years, she's going to have to leave the orphanage, and, and she has no idea what her future holds. She's standing there just bawling, and I'm like, How do we help her? Okay, before you get totally depressed, let me throw something good in, okay? The man who runs the Kesheri home that we've been working with where most of the kids that that CTK families are looking after, here's the most amazing thing about Sobimar. He's a Brahmin. He's from the highest caste. He's not supposed to have anything to do with anybody below him, but he's a Brahmin, and yet he's looking after people who are considered to be Untouchable. Everywhere he goes, he gets asked the question, what are you doing? Why is a Brahmin looking after untouchables? You know what his answer is? Jesus. A perfect God touched a wretched sinner like me. How can I not do the same thing? So beautiful. Here's the next one. Some of the suffering I endure is because I live in a world that was broken by sin. I mean, Genesis 3, just three chapters in, sin, sin enters the world through a one man. Some of you are like, yeah, let's blame it all on Adam. What a jerk, you know? We all contributed. Sin broke the delicate balance of this world, and because of that, we live in a broken world. I mean, let me just make it clear. Cancer is the result of this broken world. God doesn't give people cancer. Cancer happens because the world we live in is busted. Illness, pain, depression, hurt, it all results because of the place we live in is no longer perfect. It's broken. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says that the world itself groans for the day when its creator is going to come back and restore balance and put it all back the way that it was supposed to be. Here's the next one. Some of the suffering I endure is the result of Satan's destructive plan for those who love God. I mean, you can call me an idiot if you want to, but I believe in the existence of a devil and I believe it because that's what my Bible says is real. The devil's a thief and a liar and he wants nothing more than to destroy and distract people who are on purpose for God in their life. I mean, before I met Jesus, that was a walking definition from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. I mean, the reality is this. If you're living for Jesus, you need to expect that the enemy's going to try and target you. He's going to press in on you and you're going to suffer because of that. And I would say this, if you have no spiritual opposition in your life, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how's that working for you? In fact, if you're experiencing this kind of suffering, you should take it as a high compliment that you're actually going in the right direction because the devil doesn't pay attention to people he's not worried about and that he doesn't consider a threat. So if you're not a threat and your life doesn't have some of this in it, it's probably because you're not living anywhere close to where God wants you to live. That's tough talk, isn't it? Here's my goal for our church for the next year. I want all of us to get on the top 10 most wanted list when it comes to the devil. Let's shoot for that. Some of you are like, yeah, let's sign. Whoa, just let me rethink that, right? So this isn't an exhaustive list, but it covers the basics of where suffering comes from. I want you to notice something. Do you notice who is not on the list of where suffering originates? God's not there. Suffering doesn't originate with God. I hear this all the time. Why is God making me suffer? That question holds with it an incorrect assumption that God just sits in heaven and targets people to make them pay. That's the same thought pattern that says, God gave me cancer. God allowed me to be raped. God had a chance to save me, but he decided to do nothing. My friends, God is not the source of suffering, but let's be honest. The Bible teaches that God will use the suffering that we all will fall victim to at some level because we're human, that God will often use that suffering to push us towards himself. So let me give you some words that hopefully will help our understanding. Here's the question. Where is God in my suffering? Write down these three words. Here with me. In fact, that's so counterintuitive, I want you to say it out loud. Where is God in your suffering? He is here with me. Psalm 23, David's suffering. Some of the pain he brought on himself because he was messing around with somebody else's wife. Some of his pain came from his family. Some of his pain came from the fact that he was being targeted by evil people. Some of the pain came from the fact he lived in a broken world. And yet he says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. When the disciples are caught up in a storm, they think they're gonna die, Jesus shows up. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't stand safely on the beach and call out instructions to the guys who are in real trouble. It's not the way he operates. No, he walks right out into the center of the storm and says, I'm right here. Sometimes hard to see God for all the wind and the rain, isn't it? But he's right there. Deuteronomy 8 describes the 40 years the children of God wandered in the wilderness. It says that God used that time to test their heart. He wanted to know, is your level of commitment only, only as big as the level of pain that you're going through? I mean, when you're hurting, do you still say that God is who He says He is? Or do you use Him in those moments when you're hurting to turn Him into your most convenient ally? Or, sorry, to turn Him into your most convenient enemy as opposed to that, that ally that can walk you through? I mean, God, is he, he just wants to know, where are you, where do you see me in your suffering? When I hurt, the enemy wants me to believe that I'm alone. He lies to you. He says, you've been abandoned. God forgot about you. You are doing this thing by yourself. In fact, you're God's target. I want to remind you that Satan is known as the enemy and the king of liars because that's what he is. Lying to you. Let's flip this whole thing of suffering over for a minute. Have you ever considered good that can come out of suffering. I was talking with a friend a few weeks back. In fact, he may even be here in the service, and, and I'll do my best not to embarrass Eric, but he gave me a beautiful piece. Eric's been married to Vicky for a really, really long time, and Vicky is suffering um, from the advanced stages of dementia. And Eric and I were just having a conversation. He's a, he's a godly man, amazing marriage counselor, good person. And yet he's he's talking about how painful it is to have to reintroduce himself to the woman that he's been married to for a long time. What it's like to have to show pictures of his kids and this is your son and this is your daughter. And when we wrapped up our conversation, I asked him, how can I pray for you? His answer stunned me. He said, Pray that I suffer well. That was not what I thought was coming. Pray that I suffer well. So, if we're all going to suffer at some level, how do we do it well? Well, here's the burning question that's tied to that. Okay, what's good about suffering? Well, let me list off some things. Okay, first one suffering draws me closer to God, it just does, right? I mean, I've, I've experienced this. It's not the good times that press me into Jesus. It's the tough ones. It's not the ease and the blessings that cause me to cry out to God. It's the pain. Suffering is, is that unwelcome friend. But I got to tell you something. That unwelcome friend of pain pushes you towards a friend that will stick closer than a brother if you're willing to run to him instead of away. Secondly, I found suffering deepens my faith. I mean, Paul declared that suffering pushes us into a good process. He actually describes it. He says, we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. I mean, people who, who, who suffer well carry with them a hope and a courage that comes from making the decision to walk with God as opposed to walking away. You know, where our hope comes from as believers is the fact that there is a day coming when God's going to make it all stop. That's why Mike sang the song right before I came out. It was the promise of heaven. Next, suffering reveals my true character. I mean, when we get squeezed by suffering, the real you comes dripping out the bottom. You know, it's not when, when everything's all good and wonderful. It's when you, I mean, the pressure comes and it starts to squeeze your soul. Well, what comes dripping out of the sponge of your life? That's who you really are. I don't care what you say. I mean, it's so easy for me as a pastor to fake it, you know? I just get up here and say, my friends, my brothers, my sisters... God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, can I get a testimony from the brethren? You know? <laughs> wow. Well. See, I read my Bible, and I run into a guy like Job. The Bible says Job was a good, godly and righteous man. Did nothing wrong he lost his kids, he lost his business, he lost everything he owned. Everything. And yet his words were this. He said, when I was tested, I will come forth as pure gold. That's his true character. It leads us to the final point there. Suffering refines me. I got to watch a goldsmith work once. He had a crucible and he was actually melting gold and he was behind a piece of glass to protect people who were watching and he kind of noticed that I was standing on the other side so he took a pair of tongs and he picks up this, this, this crucible that's glowing red hot and he's moved, he's taken the gold and he's boiled it and he's actually pushed all of the, the impurities and the dross and the garbage off to the side and he, he kind of goes like this and so I kind of look up close and he turns it and I get an opportunity, I kind of look into This pot of absolutely, perfectly refined, pure gold. Do you know what I saw in the pot? Me. When gold is completely refined in the fire, it actually makes a perfect mirror. And when you look at it, when all the impurities are gone, it reflects your own reflection back to you. There's something about refining and heat and pressure that allows us to reflect the God who is here with us. No wonder the Bible says this, "Those these times have come, meaning suffering, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I mean, nothing is more telling about our belief than when we are holding to it when we suffer. As we say it so easily, right? God is love. Can you say that after 12 chemo treatments? If you can, that's what you really believe. God is my strength. How about when you have an immune disorder that stops you from being able to get out of bed? Ever. That's the real stuff, isn't it? And yet God says if we learn to suffer well, there is no greater testimony to the world around us. Here's the last one. Suffering softens my heart towards others who are hurting. We have a lady in our church who is a rape counselor. You know why she's so, so amazing at what she does? She's amazing because she has suffered that injustice when someone took the free will that God will not overstep, took that free will and used it for evil and victimized someone. She's amazing at it because, I, and I've watched her do this, I've watched her hold the hands of rape victims and look into these girls' eyes and say, God says you're beautiful and you didn't do anything to deserve this and it's not your fault and right now, he's here with you. Watched her do it. I would say this to those of you who are here today and are suffering, if you want some way to be able to figure out and have God redeem the pain that you're in, Find somebody who is suffering the same pain that you are and use how God has brought with you through it to touch their life and you will begin to redeem that wound in the center of your soul. God is no more with you than when you use your pain to touch somebody else's life who's walking the same path that you had to walk. Here's the last question. Why doesn't God just make it stop? Okay, If God loves us, why not just intervene? I mean, why doesn't God just show up in India and give that kid back his arm and his hand and put him in a system that would actually allow him to to become a leader? Why doesn't God get in there? Well, I'm going to make one statement and then I'm going to answer the question. The statement that I think would encourage all of us is this. Why doesn't God make it stop? Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Okay. The Bible says there's a day coming when God will make it stop. He will step into this broken world and make it all right. There's a day coming that we all hope for when evil will be removed and evil people will answer to God for what it is that they have done. There's a day coming when God's people will no longer hurt or suffer. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear and he will show us even in moments when it felt like he was gone, that he was actually always here with us and he will give us the answer to all of our why questions. And then the Bible says, and that day you're going to experience something you will not Get to experience here. It's called peace. Because you'll actually get it. That doesn't answer the question. I just wanted to encourage those of you who are like, why doesn't God make it stop? He's going to. And once that door is shut on evil, nothing will ever open it again. That's the hope of heaven, right? That's the hope of what happens when we suffer well, that we will get to that day when God just finally says, no more. No more. So let me answer the question. Why doesn't God just make it stop? You might be surprised at the answer. The answer is you. me yeah you me too by the way so we're cool with that second peter chapter 3 verse 9 the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness no he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance God doesn't make suffering stop because on the day that He does, that door will be closed once and for all, and it will not be reopened. God doesn't make it stop for all of His kids because He's actually looking for just one more kid. So that means this. If you suffered anything prior to 1984 and you need somebody to blame, you need look no further than right here. Because I was out acting like an idiot, doing my own thing. And the reason God didn't slam the door on suffering is because he was waiting for me to get my head and my heart straight. Okay? If you accepted the Lord up to, you know, in 1996, anybody that needs somebody to blame, you can just say it's their fault. Because God was waiting for them. 2002, maybe God was waiting for you. The reason God has not slammed the door on suffering is because he's waiting for just one more person to come to him as the answer to all the suffering. And I mean, I just want you to think about this, okay? I'm a dad. Don't hurt my kids or I'll hurt you. And God sits in heaven and holds back that holy anger with a broken heart knowing that his kids are hurting, but he holds it back because he's waiting for just one more person to say, Jesus, please, save me. That's what he's waiting for. But there will come a day when that's done. And God's going to say, no more. And then the Bible says, whether you believe it or not, that he's going to come and take us out of it. So if you want to know why there's still evil and suffering in the world, it's because if you don't know Jesus Christ, He's waiting for you. That's not punishment, that's love. And while the rest of us are still doing life, He just says this, don't ever forget three words. Hear with me. Okay, so. Um, it's so easy to talk about suffering, isn't it? Because you just kind of get to put it in somebody else's court. You know, some of you are here and you're kind of like, I got some stuff in my life, but I don't feel like I'm suffering. I mean, food on the table. I drive something from the last two decades. That's cool, right? You know. But here's what I know because I these questions have come in, hundreds of questions. I mean, like pages of questions. I know there are people in our church who are really suffering. You're going through it. I mean, kids, I mean, did you ever think about the fact that the girl who wrote in, why was I raped last night? Did you ever think that maybe she's sitting next to you right now? Or the kid who watched his mom get murdered, did you ever think that maybe that kid is actually sitting three seats to your left? I just kept thinking about it all week. I mean, God, I just don't want to go through a list of academic reasons why suffering is this so that we can all feel a little better and slap each other a spiritual high five and then go back out in the world and fake it again for another week. I thought, what, what, what if we could actually experience the hand and the touch of God for people who are really, truly suffering? Suffering. So we're going to do something crazy and yeah, we're probably going to go a little overtime. and I would tell you I feel bad about that, but I don't, so I don't want to lie. So uh, we're just going to creep over a little bit because I think some things are worth just messing up our schedules with. So I need you to hang with me and in fact, if you could just double check that cell phone and, or whatever so that we don't have any distractions, but we've been doing this all week and it's been gloriously messy all weekend long. Sometimes the church just needs to be more than just a place where we go and listen. It's a place where we actually need to to really feel God be here with us. So I'm asking you to do something crazy, radical. If you're here today, you're really suffering. I mean, something is going on in your world and you are suffering. You're not just mildly inconvenienced. I mean, you're it's tough. And maybe you, you had like 20 excuses why you shouldn't come here today. And the enemy listed them out for you because he wanted to keep you from this moment. If you are here today and you can honestly say, I am suffering, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. Would you stand up? I'll stand with you. Kind of this trickle effect starts kicking in because then people go, okay, me too. I'll stand with you. You guys are so courageous, it just blows my mind. You can join us anytime you want to if the Lord keeps telling you. But here's what we're going to do in a minute. You see, the people who are standing, they need to know that God is here with us. And this is how we're going to do it. You see, sometimes God puts himself in skin. So if there's someone standing within about a 12-foot radius of where you are, I need you to get up out of your chair and go over and just put your hand on their shoulder so they know they're not standing by themselves. So we're just moving right now. And we're not hoping somebody else does it. We're just moving. I love it when God does this. Those who are courageous enough to stand up, this is what I need you to know. Those people around you who are standing and you can feel hands on, their, on your shoulders, those are not just the hands of regular people. That's the hand of God resting on you right now. And it's pure and it's holy. That's God whispering in your ear. we am here with you right now. Thank you for being courageous to stand. I want to thank those of you who are standing around. Thank you for being courageous to go and stand with somebody who just needed to really experience that. And here's what I'm going to say to those of you who are standing around that person who stood. God has placed in one of your hearts a deep desire to want to pray out loud for the person you're standing with. This is not a time for your personal prayer language or or your personal message on four ways to avoid suffering. No, in fact, the person who's supposed to pray in that circle, you are the one right now who feels like you're freaking out. But it's just one person, and if you feel like God's telling you to pray for that person, you don't need to know what's happening. I just want you to squeeze their shoulder right now, just just a little bit, so they know you're there. And I'm going to ask one person in that group to be courageous enough to pray out loud over your brother or your sister. And if some of you are like, I don't pray out loud, it doesn't have to be pretty. It just needs to be available. So right now, one person in the group, I want you to start praying for the person who's in the center of that circle and you just pray that God helps and comforts and walks with them. Just start right now. Don't wait, I just want you to start praying couple of you start praying, that's cool too, but I want somebody to pray out loud over that person right now. Just start praying. Pray for the weary and the brokenhearted. I thank you that not a single tear has escaped you, and that you know the name of every courageous person who stood up and said, I'm suffering. I thank for you for those who gathered around them to pray. God, I, I thank you that those who prayed most likely wounded healers who suffered too. Father, we declare today that we know you are here with us. I thank you for your touch through our brothers and sisters. Thank you for loving us and watching over us. We believe you are here thank you for suffering too, Jesus. Thank you for showing us how to suffer well. Thank you for waiting for just one more. We wait with you. In your precious son's name and all God's people say.